I'm Tim Fitzgerald at GoPowerCat.com. And I'm Michael Swain of Fog.net. This is a replay of WIBW show, The Drive. Here's this week's episode on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network. Good evening, Wildcat and Jack fans, and welcome to The Drive, sponsored by Briggs Auto Group. I am Tim Fitzgerald at GoPowerCat.com. The man across the studio from me is Michael Swain of Fog.net, a friend I didn't get to see yesterday because I have been sick, Michael, and I'm doing this show hopped up on cough medicine. Well, Fitz, I appreciate you keeping your distance here, too. That's yeah. the last thing I'd like this week is to get sick. I'll probably just start hacking in the middle <laughs> of the show. It'll be very fun. You can interact with us on social media at facebook.com slash The Drive Show, on Twitter at The Drive 13, and, of course, answer our weekly poll question and make your game predictions on our Twitter page. And remember, if you ever miss an episode of The Drive, you can listen to an audio-only version that will appear each Monday morning in the form of a podcast at both GoPowerCat.com and Fog.net if we remember to do it, which we will. We will start things off with our two-minute drill. The first segment of the two-minute drill sponsored by Vanderbilt's Your Work Boot Center. Kansas State escaped Lawrence with a 31-27 victory over KU on Saturday night. Fitz, what was the difference in the game that helped the Wildcats win their 15th straight? Boy, it was a – I mean, you look at it this way, both teams scored four touchdowns. So what it came down to was what happened on extra points. Mm -hmm. Special teams, ironically, is what did KU in in so many ways here. You go back to that touchdown where Kansas State blocked the extra point. Not only do you take one away from Kansas, but Keenan Garber, a Lawrence kid, picks up the ball and runs, whatever yardage it was, for a two-point conversion. That's a three-point swing in a four-point game. That means towards the end of the game, towards the end of the game when Kansas is trying to score a touchdown, a field goal would have given them the lead if they had hit that extra point. It's an amazing thing what happened in the course of this game because uh, you later had K-State going to go ahead and go for two in, when they scored a touchdown later to put it themselves up by four. Again, if K-State doesn't convert that two-point conversion, which technically is special teams but it's not, then it's a two-point game at the end and you can kick a field goal. But K-State was able to get it into the end zone and stretched out that lead. And then just when it looked like KU might have an opportunity to get a possession, Inside K-State territory, a muffed punt by the Jayhawks gave K-State the ball back. It wasn't that clear cut. There was a lot of ebbs and flows in this game, Michael, but it really came down to just a few things. A dropped interception here and uh, an interception thrown with a nice pick at the end of the game by the K-State secondary. It, It was that kind of game. Literally flip a play, flip the outcome. And K-State has played a lot of those games this year. And honestly, this is the first time they've come out on top of one of those. Every loss has been flip a play, flip an outcome, but K-State's loss. This time they came out ahead, and a big reason why was the sheer determination of Will Howard, who did not play particularly well, but he refused to lose that game, as did those many Kansans on that roster for K-State. The game was very important, but for the first time in a long time, Michael, this was a competitive, fun game that went down to the wire. I'll hit on that in the next segment, but I think for me, I think about Bill Self, something he talks about all the time. There are games you're going to play your best, blow the team out. There are games you're going to play meh, and you'll win. And then there are games you're going to play really bad for three quarters or, you know, 30 minutes of the game and come out on top. And that's what championship teams do, and that's exactly what Kansas State is and what they did on Saturday. He's got to find a way to win. 
And as we just covered, KU blew an 11-point lead in the second half to uh, against K-State on Saturday. Michael, where did it go wrong for KU in that half? Yeah, I think you hit on those big moments right there, Fitz. I think I look at special teams, right? And this, for a minute there, felt like the competition of which team wanted to make the worst special teams yeah. play, right? K-State's punter did not have a great game. Kenny Logan had a great kickoff return to set up KU with really good field position, but a muffed punt. It's back-to-back -back seasons now where a muffed punt has swung the momentum in this game. Last year, it was O.J. Burroughs fumbling inside the, his 10-yard line, and it set up a K-State touchdown. This time, it set up the game-winning score for Kansas State. I think on one hand, Fitz, you can look at this game and say, hey, KU is so much more competitive in that. And I think that is one thing you can point to as a trajectory of the Kansas program. Lance Leipold will tell you he's not in the moral victory business. He's in the results business, and Kansas did not get the results. And you look at the offensive performance for KU, Fitz. KU scores at the beginning of the second half after a really well-executed play for Mason Fairchild. It gets him inside the red zone. KU scores a few plays later. Well, KU didn't score again. And what was the big difference? Well, K-State really buckled down on first and second down, where in the first half, KU's facing third and two, third and three, fourth and two. Second half, third and 13, third and 15, third and 12. It's really hard to convert on third and long consistently fits when you got a freshman quarterback who's in his first start of his college career. And K-State decided they were gonna make Cole Ballard beat them. And Cole Ballard couldn't consistently, which is understandable. But it's one of these situations where you look at the adjustments that Kansas State made to what I think was an incredible game plan for Kansas. You saw them pull out the Wildcat with different quarterbacks. You saw Cole Ballard make some big throws in the first half. But when Kansas State made that adjustment, Cave did not have the ability to pivot to another thing because they had already played their cards. So for me, I look at this game fits. It's positive for Kansas that they're able to be competitive in this game, make it a coin flip game, because you look at the other coin flip games that K-State's lost, it's Missouri, a ranked team, Texas, one of the best teams in the country, and KU. Not a bad group to be with, but again, mm -hmm. this is a result business. Kansas did not get the result. I, I just want to give a shout out though to Andy Kotalecki, who mm -hmm. was absolutely brilliant in his scheming against that K-State defense covering up the fact that they had some issues at quarterback and taking so much pressure off the young kid he could relax and play and he played pretty well yeah uh, just one late interception really was painful for KU exactly well yep. finally fits with the win for K-State we get some clarity as it pertains to the Big 12 title game tiebreakers so Fitz like walk us through everything that's been going on here because it's been hard to follow Okay, so if you're listening on audio, I just took my glasses <laughs> off. Now I can't see a darn thing. Um, so the, originally, the, the tiebreaker rules posted on the Big 12 site indicated that if there's a three or more school tie for a spot in the game, you go to the round robin. And if a round robin's not complete, you move to item two, which is the round robin against the next, the highest ranked team everyone played. So K-State would have won that. But they never, they claim they didn't mean that. And they left out that if the round robin doesn't exist, but Oklahoma State, in this case, had beaten both the teams, even though Oklahoma and Kansas State hadn't played, Oklahoma State should have won. Now, they've tried to claim it was a clarification. It was a change. But it is the right way to do it. Now we're wondering, as we get into this, have they figured this out yet? Because if Texas loses and Kansas State, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State all win, 
Now look, Texas probably isn't gonna lose at home to Tech, but if they do, you got a four-way tie, and there's now confusion about how that shapes out. Oh no. Because you don't have a round robin, you have to move to criteria two, and Kansas State and Texas went 2-0 against what would be criteria two, games against Kansas and Iowa State, okay? But there's a feeling that that only decides the first team, which would be Texas. Then you move on, and K-State gets eliminated at that point. It doesn't make sense, and I'll be interested to see what happens if we get to that, but let's be honest. At this point, K-State has missed its opportunity. They either need that to happen, Texas to lose, or they need Oklahoma and Oklahoma State to lose, which isn't happening either. So in all likelihood, K-State will not be defending its Big 12 crown, even though it's going to be in a tie, uh, possibly with two other schools. be in that game. It stinks, but uh, the, the rules are now clear-cut. They changed them, but they're clear-cut. So K-State will in all likelihood be out. Let's put it this way. Folks at K-State are pretty mad because they know the mm-hmm. truth. That was not a clarification. That was a rules change. And even if you screwed it up, look, you posted this. This is what was voted on and approved. You probably need to stick with it through that year. Fits my brain is in a pretzel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the commercial break coming up in a minute will be very necessary. Yep, I agree. It's very maddening. It's it, it's not this complicated. They made it really complicated. If you read the tiebreaker rules, you're like, did a non-English speaker write this? I mean, this doesn't <laughs> make sense. Now, a quick look at your poll question results. The poll questions are brought to you by Midland Exteriors. Love the home you live in. Call today for a free estimate. All right. Last week's question was, which Big 12 coach has had the most disappointing season? Sonny Dykes came away with the win, I guess, with 46%. Dave Aranda had 45%. Gus Malzahn had 4%. And Scott Satterfield had 5% of the votes. I'm just amazed we had that many voters. That's incredible we, that we could parse it by a single percentage. Yeah. Way to go, voters. This week's question is this. Has the Big 12 handled the confusion around the Big 12 tiebreakers well? Here's your votes. B, no. You can vote A, yes, also. That's also one of the choices, but it's B, no. And they've really muddled this up. Make sure you vote at the drive 13. (laughs) That will do it for this half of the two-minute drill. But we'll be right back with more on KU and K-State here on the drive. Welcome back to The Drive, fueled by BriggsAuto.com. Welcome back as we continue our weekly two-minute drill. Michael took a little nap in the break to reset his brain. I coughed. The segment of this segment of the two-minute drill is sponsored by Copeland Insurance Agency, part of your community for more than 60 years. All right, Fitz, K-State went one and one in the Bahamas championship, beating Providence on Friday and losing to Miami in the championship game on Sunday. So... Give us your early season assessment of Jerome Tang's Wildcats. Well, this is a really incomplete team right now, Michael, in the fact that they are missing two key components in Naquan Tomlin and Quez Glover. Um, and what we've seen from this team is when you drop below that 11 number, they, they have to get kind of creative. Well, they look pretty good against Providence. Providence is a good team, and I, I think Kim English is going to be a superstar coach. I, I, he was next on my list after Brad Underwood, Jerome Tang. It was Kim English. That's who I wanted at K-State because I think he's going to be brilliant as a coach. And he was good in this game, and Providence was very good. Uh, but K-State found a way to win in overtime. 
And then they got into a game with Miami, which is the 12th ranked team in the nation. And they reverted to some of the things they had in the first game of the season against USC. They just looked overmatched athletically. And it's not like K-State's not good athletes. They just played uh, lesser than they can. It's very strange. Nigel Pack, who's now at Miami and, of course, uh, went to K-State for his first two seasons, was brilliant. He hit uh, eight three-pointers. No, excuse me. Yeah, eight three-pointers in the game, including seven in the first half. I think that was it. But he was just smoking more than 50% from three-point range after hitting only 25% in the first four games for the Hurricane. Miami was really efficient offensively. And built a lead as big as 24, I think, in the second half. And by game's end, K-State had clawed back into it and and uh, made it a single-digit outcome. But they had to play this game without Day-Day Ames, their freshman point guard, who really has done a nice job. K-State looks better when he's on the floor and Tyler Perry can move off to be more of a shooting guard. But Day-Day got into a fight. It looked a little one-sided. It's still unclear if Day-Day actually threw a punch or accidentally hit a guy in the, the voice box or the face, you know, just kind of getting off a pick because he took a forearm shiver to the face and that, that ended up with an equal penalty, which means he had to sit out this game. K-State's not happy about that. K-State's just not happy right now. But this team's going to get better. We see a light at the end of the tunnel for Naquan Tomlin. We don't know when it's coming, but everything appears to be in the diversion process now because no charges came out of this incident. And uh, we'll see when they get back Quez Glover. Again, that Michael, they're going to have to reinvent themselves when they get those parts back. It's going to be fascinating to see how Jerome Tang navigates this through the season. Yeah, this is a team that it's going to have to grow into the season, like yeah. you said, Fitz. Like, the team we're seeing right now is not what we're going to see when KU and K-State face off on Big 12 play. No. And I think that progression, right, how they get there is going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah, and they've got to play better defense. Mm. I mean, 91 in this game was just way too much. Well, KU basketball will take the floor in Hawaii. Oh, that's horrible. They have to do that? On Monday night in the Maui Invitational, I think my brother and sister-in-law will be there. Michael, what are your expectations to see from KU this week? Yeah, I think this is a big week for KU's bench players, right? This is a, a series where KU's going to play Chaminade on Monday, right? That's a, a win for Kansas, most likely. But you're looking at KU then playing a Marquette team that's ranked at the top 10 or UCLA. And then on the other side of the bracket, there's a Gonzaga, there's a Purdue, mm. right? There are some big time teams. This is being lauded as one of the best Maui Invitationals ever. And KU needs its bench players to step up. And KJ Adams will most likely not play on Monday night after the passing of his mother over the weekend. And this is now the opportunity for someone like Johnny Furphy potentially to step into the starting lineup and make an impact. You saw last week against Kentucky, guys like Johnny Furphy, El Marco Jackson, Nick Timberlake looked way out over their skis. Bill Self said they were going to be out there in the water without their floaties on and you know, if we're using that metaphor, they probably drowned. You know, they were not very good. And this is a Kansas team that we know what they have in those four guys. Dewan Harris, Kevin McCuller, KJ Adams, and Hunter Dickinson. You know what you're getting from them every single night. But it's those role players that can help elevate this team to the heights that I think Bill Self and people around Kansas feel they can reach. And so it's going to come down to those guys during this three games and three-day stretch being able to be on the floor, be serviceable, play with a free mind. Because in this Kentucky game, you saw guys like Furphy thinking too much. El Marco Jackson hesitated on multiple three-pointers. And Bill Self would say, hey, man, we trust you to be out there. Shoot the ball. Go make plays. Do what we recruited you to do. And so this is going to be a progression, I think, for Kansas. That would be really fascinating to watch, right? You know Hunter Dickinson is going to put up some insane numbers this year. You know Dewan Harris 
and Kevin McCuller are going to be some of the best defenders in the Big 12. KJ Adams is going to have another really strong season. But again, it comes down to what these guys can get you off the bench because in Big 12 play, in some of these big games against big teams, they're going to go after your weak link. And that weak link has to be able to hold firm. And that's what's going to be so huge for these guys this week is being able to figure out who that guy is. I don't know who it is, and that's what we're going to learn over the next couple days. Hawaii, it's so rough. Bahamas, <laughs> Hawaii, I mean, come on. Come, these poor kids. Uh, on a serious note, my thoughts, my prayers go out to the Adams family because you know, as someone with cancer, losing a family member with that, it's just awful. Um, so um, hang in there. I, it, it's not easy, man, not easy. And now we step out of bounds. Out of Bounds is brought to you by Dara's Corner Market. We love local, and we are local for you. Well, the Abolition Bowl marked an end of an era's final game at David Booth, Kansas Memorial Stadium in its current state. Michael, how do you think that the school should handle games during this renovation process? Yeah, Fitz, it's going to be really interesting because demolition is supposed to start in December. At some point in time, maybe, you know, we'll see when that actually happens. But this is a tough decision now for Kansas where they've got to figure out, are they going to sacrifice a home field advantage? next season because the west side of the stadium will be torn down in addition to some of the north bowl are you going to sacrifice the this the environment that you're playing in for that to play in lawrence and look there are a lot of businesses that can yep. use the financial boost of college football games on saturday in lawrence that is very important and something that has to be taken into consideration but purely from a football sense you know maybe playing a game or two at arrowhead in Big 12 play, maybe that is a, a method that Kansas can use to find a balance of having a home field advantage while also supporting the important businesses in the community of Lawrence that I think really does deserve to continually have quality college football be played at David Booth Kansas Memorial Stadium. Oh, this will be an interesting problem because eventually K-State's going to have to renovate Bramlage Coliseum, mm. which might cause a season um, when they're having to you know, redo the entire west side, ironically, of the arena. And the same thing holds true. You can't just go on a tour around the state of Kansas. A lot of businesses will suffer in your community that, that bank on that tourism. It's, yeah. it's interesting. And just right, right when they get a home field advantage, the home field goes away. So we'll see if it survives that. Well, now let's hear from the fans. Our fan question is sponsored by Medlark. Retirement away to Manhattan where you can live your way every day. And I'm ready to do that. Our fan question this week is, why are Lance Leipold and Chris Kleiman mentioned for every stinking job opening? I think I added a word there. <laughs> when both have said they are happy in Kansas. Michael, give me your thoughts first. Uh, thank you, Jennifer, for the question. Yeah. Um, to quote Mark Mangino, dollar signs. Yeah. yeah. That's my take. Yeah. You know what? These are two great coaches. Yeah. And they will be brought up on wish lists all over the place. But I don't think either one of them are going until the right upper Midwest job comes open. Not just a job, the right one. And actually, I think at this point, neither one of them want to leave. I think at KU, you might be worried about Andy Kotelicki a little bit. But uh, for now, I think both head coaches are sticking around. I totally agree. And I'll be fascinated to see how many more names uh, or jobs that Yep. two head coaches are linked to because there are probably more coming so yep. remember to ask us your questions on our facebook page and on twitter at the drive 13 when we return we will look at our predictions here on the drive welcome back to the drive 
fueled by BriggsAuto.com. Well, it is time to head down the home stretch of this week's show, and now let's take a look at our predictions. The predictions are brought to you by Kites. Meeting your friends at Kites since 1954. Remember to make your weekly predictions on our Twitter page at the Drive 13. Here are last week's results. Somehow I went two and one. I'm not sure how. The fans and Michael both went one and two. Nope. So now I'm in charge of these picks. Let's start with this one. K-State plays host to Iowa State. This number shocked me. 11 and a half points. K-State's a favorite. Does K-State win by 12 or more? Michael. Uh, no, I'll take Iowa State to cover the number. I reluctantly say yes. This could be a really close game. Mm. Next is KU at Cincinnati. KU's a three and a half point road favorite. Fitz, I like KU to get their eighth win of the season and do it by more than three and a half points. I, I, I do too, but I'm going to pick Cincinnati just because maybe, KU threw so much at the window mm. here. Maybe there'll be a letdown. I'm going to stick with another home team. And our last game of the week is Texas Tech at Texas. UT's a 13 and a half point favorite, so a two touchdown favorite. Mm. They have not been blowing people out. They have played three straight weeks of close games. Do they win this by two touchdowns or more? I'll take Texas Tech. It, it strikes me like an Oklahoma, right? Right. They're playing around with their food, then they lost to KU. I think this might be the time for Texas Tech. Yeah, well, here we go. I'm going to take Texas because I'm not very smart, and I'm on cold medicine. <laughs> Again, make your picks on our Twitter page, at the Drive 13 And now it's time for our On the Clock segment. On the Clock is sponsored by Carpet One. Buy local for a strong local community. Let's start off with Michael Swain of Fog.net. Fitz, we talked about Memorial Stadium earlier. I'd like to give a shout out to Kansas fans. The atmosphere on Saturday was incredible. Second to none. One of the best home field advantages I've seen for Kansas in as long as I've been covering the program. And I think it's incredibly encouraging for the future of this program in the new stadium when it's more encouraged for fans to stay because it's more comfortable. There are not porta potties all over the stadium. That's important. But it's important for students to stay too. And I think across the country, you've seen students not stay at games, so credit to them. Well, that was that was amazing to watch it that way. Hey, I just got a quick topic here. Um, we just talked about coaches being linked to jobs, jobs that they're really not interested in. Quite often, this is done by agents. Agents want to leak those names out there to get a raise for their coach, but also they need to start understanding this impacts the fans' thoughts of a coach constantly being named for a job and recruiting. Are they really helping their client? Uh, I don't know. And that's it for this week's edition of The Drive. We will see you next week right here and all week on social media.